Right, we're going. <clears throat> okay. Welcome to the first real episode of the Full Stop Podcast with Berenice Smith from Walk In Our Shoes, Sarah Lawrence from After The Storm, and of course me, Michael Hughes from Married and Childless. This show is especially exciting for us as our very first guest is an author, a thought leader, a TEDx speaker, and the founder of Gateway Women, and if you haven't guessed by now, Jody Day. But more about Jody later. For millennia, one of the most important human traditions that continues to be practiced, that allows us to give lessons, it teaches us to love, to forgive, to be just, and strive for better than what we have. Be it a fable from Aesop, a fairy tale from Hans Christian Andersen, or even J.K. Rowling. It's storytelling. Storytelling helps us make sense of our world and to share that understanding with others. Our first two episodes are dedicated to dedicated to this tradition of storytelling. This week, we explore what it means to speak out, something very hard for the childless community to do. Our next show, we'll be delving into the minds of those that have written their story. And we want you to think on this as you listen, because we want to tell you, yes, you, your story is no different. Morning, how are you? How's things? Morning, Sarah. Good morning. Well, actually, good evening from Australia. It's um, <laughs> it's half past eight at night on Sunday uh, uh, Sunday evening. Yeah. Um, so this this podcast, we're talking about speaking out. Then, yeah, we are so, indeed. I'm quite excited about this. Actually, it's quite a good one, yeah. isn't it? I was I was really looking forward to this one because I think all three of us, in a way, we speak out, don't we? We're voices of different parts of the community. So this one really um, interests me. So um, I'd I'd really like to hear, you know, how you how you girls started. Sarah, do you want to say how you started speaking? So, well, I mean, I've always been fairly gobby, actually. (laughs) Um, So it kind of came natural. Um, But I think for me, um, I started off the storm because I went the other way. I think the shame and the embarrassment of being. and I hate this word, infertile, um, I kind of shut down. I stopped talking to people. I closed my family out, I closed my friends out. And it was quite a lonely experience for me. So once I started thinking about what's important, I think, for me and trying to help people, it was finding my voice again and trying to show people how they can speak up and be noticed and not take pride, but appreciate what they've been through and how they've come through it so that's really why after the storm started because I wanted to re-embrace my gobbiness basically in a good way (laughs) I love that re-embrace your gobbiness (laughs) what was in terms of speaking out and do you remember the first time that you did something that was after the storm or, or just generally say something where you felt you'd really re-embraced your gobbiness I love that phrase <laughs> I'm gonna go with it I think I'll have to put it on my business cards I think you should yes <laughs> after the storm re-embrace your gobbiness yeah. Um, <laughs> the first time I spoke as after the storm um, was doing a Facebook 
sort of a video or a live. I think I did it as a live. I was absolutely terrified. And I was talking But you do them so well, Sarah. I just want to say that, that if oh. anyone's listening and thinking, oh, after the storm, then, then go to Facebook, search for after the storm and just look, because I, I watch them all and you embrace Facebook Live so brilliantly. You're such a natural. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so natural. In fact, I do them without makeup. And sometimes, you know, I just rock up and think, oh, this will do. Messy. Sometimes after a run, which I think is just remarkable, or waking up at two thirty. Was it two thirty in the morning the other day when you were on there? <laughs> I had this idea at two thirty in the morning. I was like, oh, good God! <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> I just have to go blah, 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 blah. <laughs> get it out. But um, no, that first video um, was it was strange because it kind of I've been putting it off, putting it off, and I, you know when you can feel it building, you think, oh, I've got to get this out, I've got to get this out. And that first video, I think I can't even remember what I was talking about. It was something very, very high level. But then I started talking about my thoughts and my feelings. And you can kind of feel them bubbling up from deep within you and get emotional and stuff. So for me, I knew that even though I want to help people, it, at some level for me, it's also a healing process, being able to talk about it, being able to get it out there. And making feel, I guess, making people feel, oh God, this is another awful word, but normal, bunny ears, normal. Because mm -hmm. I think going through it, you feel anything but, personally. I don't know how you guys felt when you were going through it. But yeah, it's nice to know that there's somebody out there that's talking about it and kind of normalising all of your emotions, all of your thoughts. Um, well, I think one of the biggest ones for me was jealousy. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of... I don't know, it's almost looked frowned upon, I think, to admit that you feel jealous of other people. Uh, and yeah. so talking about that has made it easier for me to talk to my own mum about my feelings of jealousy when other people, you know, have what I want. Mm -hmm. And my mum was, oh, you can't say things like that. But actually, yes, you can. And you should be able to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's it. And it's such a, a funny sort of... It, jealousy isn't really a big enough word is it no I think because it's like I I don't want to run off with anyone else's child <laughs> it's just like I'm not kind of some sort of child snatcher or something terrible like that which we can often sort of feel that whole thing of like oh take my children and that stupid you know hilariously not very funny joke mm. um but it's actually realising when you talk to other people and you hear that, that there actually isn't really a word to articulate that feeling um, at all. There isn't. I, I can't think of a word. I don't think one has been invented yet um, in our language um, that covers that feeling. No. I imagine there's a German word, that because they have a fantastic way of words, don't they? Like, mm, and Greek. Oh, I think the Greek, Greek language is wonderful. There must be something in, 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 mm. in Greek language that we probably can't quite write. There must be some word out there. Yeah, somewhere. Latin, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's for our next episode about writing it out. Maybe, maybe someone, if you're listening and you, you and you know a word that might possibly cover it in another language, that hideousness, and I don't know what it is or something, then then tell us, get in touch because we, I don't know what it would be. I'd like to have to write something down, sort of, I don't know, 
that isn't necessarily obvious to somebody and say this is what it is I might even put it as a tattoo or something I don't know (laughs) (laughs) long as it's short otherwise it's too painful (laughs) <laughs> it's not a word that covers the the shitness of it all really yeah isn't it not two fingers stuck up <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe it's a gesture <laughs> <laughs> so what about you Berenice oh god um I'm trying to think when I first did something really I think it was probably at um at, at university so God, my story, walking our shoes, how did it come about? It's probably the reason why I, I started speaking about it. So my story, um, for those that don't know, is recurrent miscarriages and failed IVF. Um, I did get pregnant once through IVF. It did work once and then I miscarried. And um, I think after that, I, I know I was working and around lots of parents at the time so working in a team of parents I had friends who were parents and I think the expectation was on my part I think when I first started IVF that it would work like we all think oh it will work it'll be fine um it's probably why I went through six rounds of it you know you don't do that thinking it will will fail um and at the last round I kind of sort of fell apart we i I was made redundant along with about 400 other people for my job I loved. But I did struggle, I think, in the workplace. The people I worked with were absolutely lovely. They were absolutely lovely. I still work with some of them now and they are amazing. Um, But it was still a struggle for me because I felt actually incredibly bitter. I really was. I was getting to that bitter, horrible, I hate everybody and nobody understands. But I didn't have the words to say something. I think that was the issue. I didn't know how to articulate that. Um, and I thought, I'll made redundant. I'll do some freelancing, whatever. And a job came up and I went for an interview in London. Didn't particularly want it. Walked past on the way home, past the, one of the universities here in Cambridge. And they were advertising master's degrees. And it's a master's degree in graphic design and typography, which is totally my thing. And I thought, oh, Oh, let's go in. So I, I applied, I went in, I got offered the job in London on the same day I got offered the master's a place on the master's degree. And I thought, no, I, I don't want to go into London on train anymore. I want to do something for me. And that, I always say that design sort of saved my sanity and I can't underestimate how much that did at the time. Um, because it took my mind off things. And in that degree, um, there's like four different modules in the master's. And one of them is about using your, or using design for minority groups. Mm. And of course, you can imagine the light bulbs went off in my head. And I can remember to this day that I, you have to go and discuss what it is you want to do um, with the lecturer, really lovely guy called Will. And um, I went into his, into his office and he was just like, oh, well, I think I've had this opportunity come up. I've still to this day, and I must ask him, I've no idea what that opportunity was. It could have been bloody awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Um, because I went and I sat down and said, this is what I want to do. I want to do something that represents um, infertility because this is what it is. So the first time I ever spoke about it was to the, the, the other students. And then he had to present it to kind of the faculty. It got bigger. I was like, oh, that's about 800 people. Um, and I had to say, well, actually, this is what has happened to me. And this is what I want to do. But you, I hadn't worked out what 
walk-in I shoes was then and that was the first time I spoke about it and it was going to be a book I'd always had in mind it was a book but I think oh god yeah I want a master's degree I want to learn some stuff and you've got all this resources okay actually it's going to be a website it's going to be something digital um I'd like it to have been an app, it would anything, but I didn't want it to be a, a book, although I still got the book designs for it. It might happen, but, um, you know, God, I'll find some time. But that's kind of how I sort of talked about it. And that's where I started off because it helped me to talk about it. The stories on Walking My Shoes also helped people that read it because it's different elements of it and you can see oh yeah I, I felt that there's a number of stories that have got all about kind of like dealing with families and mm. things because you know we we kind of can curate to a point social media and Facebook so that we're not challenged by things you know we can say okay this is my Facebook feed and I want to unfollow or in my case completely remove the friends I hate that word but defriend is my like horrible word but you can defriend you can have separate accounts i have separate facebook accounts so you can do all of those things and you can protect yourself a little bit but i think when it comes to real life that's friends that you can't kind of remove from your life it's your family it's gatherings it's dealing with all of the stuff that comes with that you can feel like you say i think isolated Mm. you don't feel normal because actually it's not an easy thing to to articulate there just isn't a vocabulary or a way of speaking that I've ever found that can actually sort of express that how you feel and about what it is you've been through I I cannot I mean I I know when I went through counselling and I know that we'll talk about this in a future episode about mental health but I know just briefly that when I went through counselling one of the things that happened to me was just trying to explain how I about moving my life on somehow and how hard that is to get the words out to even explain what that might mean and what it looks like how the hell do you say it and how do you say it to people who have known you all your life you know your your, your cousins your, your siblings your uncles aunts parents you know how you know because you're not the same person that you were prior to knowing that you can't have children because actually it's the thing that it's it's why you're part of the family it's why mm. you're part of maybe friendship circles because actually you have something in common um and then you have to kind of create a new sort of you know like bunny ears again family you know mm. um bunny ears you mean quotation marks sorry just for those you know, obviously we're on, we're on the podcast you don't know that <laughs> but, but it's 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 finding another language and maybe speaking out is about finding other words, you know, whether you write it down or whether you speak about it. And I now speak to people a mixed sort of demographic. So I go a lot of walking issues now is tailored around speaking to people who aren't, um, in fact, I've done a talks in Cambridge here to the university to um, business groups and a, um, a petrichiture. My, my, my friend um, Anne, who runs the petrichiture in Cambridge, came up with a different way of pronouncing it, but I'm going to go petrichiture um, because that actually is a really good way of doing something. I think if anyone's out there thinking, I want to give it a go, but I don't know how, then I've actually found that to be really good. And of course, the Fertility Fest has spoken there too. So it's easier when you have people who share your theme or have that, in, that awfulness of infertility in common. 
but actually for me a lot of what I do now is sharing the stories to help other people understand what it's like to be childless not by choice and all the different ways we come to that but in an outward facing way rather than into the community now it's kind of it's taken on a different life I suppose really and become a different way of doing it and also by being confidential by being other people's voices I can kind of disconnect a bit because it's still I would absolutely say I I'm still find it very difficult to talk about and I've cut myself off from my family I know I have but I have to do it because I get so many shit days I, I do I mean to the point where it's really hard to even think about it um never mind talk about it yeah I can relate to that I mean the good days do get more numerous but you still have bad days you mm. still have days where you just think oh why don't <laughs> you know stop the world I just want to get off for five minutes because it's all around you isn't it it doesn't matter oh where absolutely yeah there's going to be something that think you know you see a family or you see a child it's going to it's going to mm. take you back there isn't it so. it is and I think also if you're in sort of situations mm. where it's gatherings of things and and, and people you find that you can't help but of course conversation goes that way it does you know it absolutely does I can remember you know sitting with with friends and and with family and and they'll talk about something it might have been something innocent like you know bus ticket prices I remember a conversation about that and about how kids go free and I have nothing to contribute to that conversation um at all and that I think by talking, we can give people clues as to what might be good and might not be good. And it's interesting because I find that um, my best friend in the universe is a mum. My lovely friend Sue, and she's got two beautiful, beautiful daughters. And we can talk about anything to do with her kids, you know. And I remember sitting actually um, in... March, we were all around a house, and she was talking about the fact that you know about not about giving birth, but it was a comment that she made about well, you know, I I I about deserving some cheese scones that her mum had made her um, because she'd given birth. Did not even phase me whatsoever because I thought, well, yeah, you bloody well did do that, you know, and you bloody well deserve those scones because actually what it is is that she listens and we share we share respect for that. Mm. I respect that actually, you know, bringing up two kids is bloody hard. She's had a lot of stuff on her plate, but she also respects actually that I have been through shit too. Different shit, but it's still shit. It's still rubbish. It's still awful and it's still difficult. And life still has so many challenges, so much stuff that you have to get through. And those are the conversations I absolutely, I wish everybody in the world who in our community had a friend like her because I think it would change a lot about how we think but actually when we've sat and thought about it I couldn't tell you what it is we have in common I couldn't tell you how that works I couldn't tell you why it works with her and not anybody else yeah. I don't know but it just works it's, and it's, it's interesting odd, but it's speaking it's interesting because I haven't got a friend like that I haven't got a friend that has a child that I can yeah. see about like that it's generally so mm. child-centric um but yeah. it's interesting that women are able to connect on that level what's your what's your take on it michael because obviously as a chap it, it's probably different isn't it do men talk yeah. about it the same way um <clears throat> not really um 
as I, as I alluded to on my uh, post on Facebook yesterday, it, well, I did allude to it. I, it was about, you know, men, men don't talk. And when, when I'm listening to you, you girls talking about this, I go back to my previous place of employment where we had a, what we used to call the table of knowledge. It was, a, it was the, the meeting table in our sort of cubicle. And come lunchtime, we'd sit around that. And it, I, I've always, over the years, I've developed a fairly thick skin. So I can, I can talk about my childlessness. Um, but when I, whenever I would, there would be stone cold <clears throat> silence. Now I know the guys who I work with supported me. You know, we, um, you know, we we thought we continue to think a lot of each other. But um, silence, because they didn't know how to what to say, because that's not something we talk about. It's interesting, actually, just because I'm just, just sorry to, to interrupt, but I just think sometimes the stone cold silence, is that better than the fixing? Because I think women, and I'm being very kind of like um, challenging here and a bit kind of side broad sweep, I suppose, at, at, at gender. But I wonder, women, in my experience, seem to fix. Yes, yes. Oh, it'll work. Oh, well, you know, you'd, you'd have one of mine or... Um, relax. Somebody, somebody that yeah, relax. Or when I went back in to an office after I'd had a, a miscarriage, and I've been off with that, and they knew that. I was told um, that this person, I'm crying so crying so much. I don't know what to say to you. I feel guilty for having my children. Are we better, you know, I don't think silence is, is good and the table of knowledge sounds positively terrifying to me mm. if you aren't sharing knowledge and the, you talk about knowledge and it's a mutual two-way conversation and you're met with silence. I can't imagine how terrifying that would be. I think that must be terrible. I... Um... I guess, yeah, as as a guy thinking about it, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it was it was indicative of how how men behave. Um, it was indicative of why guys don't talk because they could misinterpret that silence, and um, yeah, so it it it's, it taught it it taught me some response skills so um so instead of you know leaving the stone cold silence if i'm not being cheeky um you know i'd bring that up with but it's okay you know we're fine you know we can talk about this you know don't feel bad and i found that 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 has worked and it continues to work i use it a lot um and it you know it starts a conversation again but what it also does is it clicks in my mind that um, there's more to life than this. You know, it, it is unfortunate and it is not somewhere you want to be, but um, yeah, it's helped my, you know, yeah, my mental health deal with, I know it's strange, but you know, deal with, um, yeah, there's more to life than this, you know. 
hope that makes sense. That makes sense. That yeah, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, it does. But um, g- getting back, so Vicky, Michael, for those who don't know, my wife, um, listen to your story about uh, your best friend and her two children. So Vicky was at the, Vicky just recently, well, we both um, went to her 21st birthday for our um, good friend's daughter, who Vicky was actually at, at the birth. I mean, wow. literally at the sharp end at the birth. Oh because goodness. her friend wanted to include her in, in, in her, her life and wanted to include her in, um, you know, this child's life and has done for 21 years. You know, they have a fantastic relationship, you know, so it's, it's weird how it works, you know, mm. but, but, but her friend has always been, you know, um, inclusive of Vicky. So it's almost been like there's three of them. And um, Selena says, that's my auntie Vicky and she's the best auntie I've got. You know, so, um, yeah, so it's strange. You know, it, 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 uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, she can have a bad days. Mm. But, but this friend was, you know, understood and, you know, included her at the same That's time. That's lovely. That made a difference. It's interesting yeah. to me that you said that you you find yourself almost com- comforting other people and saying, well, we're all right, we're okay, to help them. Mm, yes. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's that's the way I look at it because I have I have a firm belief that we are all good. You know, it's a very very small uh, you know percentage of the population who aren't, but as a whole, we as humans are in essence good people, and you know, so I can imagine that there would be some you know empathy that would certainly you know be sparked if you say that sort of um, statement that sorry we you know we, we don't have children um and i think that's healthy um both vicky and i talk about uh and she's she is absolutely determined not to be bitter about our situation because that's not who she wants to be mm. of course she's sad and yes she has her bad days um, more, probably more than she admits to, but, um, yeah, you know, and, and it go that goes along the our ethos about how we deal with this is be positive. Don't be bitter. And generally people are good. So, you know, why chastise them? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I don't want to go down the bitter way. I definitely don't. It'd be, it's too easy, I think, isn't it, to get bitter and resentful and angry about it. But I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit more ballsy. I can't, re, I can't apologise for making other people uncomfortable. Um, that's not my problem. <laughs> you know, I've got enough shit to deal with. So if you're uncomfortable with me talking about it, I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologise for it. You, you have to find your own way of dealing with it but maybe that's me maybe maybe that is a little bit of anger maybe but I find that you know to a certain extent you have to live around other people that have children that you know I'm not going to cut everybody out of my life just because they have children that wouldn't be the right thing to do either but that doesn't mean that I then have to apologize for 
feeling the way I do, for existing the way I do and having the lifestyle I have. So if, there, if it's met with silence or it's met with discomfort, um, that's not my problem. Maybe that's just me. What do you think? <laughs> I kind of can see that. I, I, I see a lot of that in myself in that I will, the old, older I get, maybe the, the more I see how people hurt because of this the more I think oh well you know it's, it's like you say it's not my problem like is is what what's the phrase is it not my your uncomfortableness isn't my problem or there's a phrase that I know I've seen banded around in groups that's not it I'm paraphrasing but it you have to kind of, it, I mean, it goes back to kind of someone sort of saying, being guilty for having children when I had not. Mm. Well, that's your problem. That's not my problem. I can't make your guilt better um, when I have enough of my own stuff to deal with. Um, you, and I suppose, yeah, I, I kind of tend to sort of go down that route now of thinking, okay, the, you know, and there's so many resources now. I think that if you are somebody who has children who has no experience at all of infertility then god when when i first started barely anything really to support people who had infertility never mind those that didn't want to know a bit more about it now god there's blogs everywhere we're surrounded by this incredible and powerful community who are in the bravery and courage of people to sit and to say look actually I'm going to write a, a, a blog about childlessness or I'm going to do a small thing for, for World Childless Week for example or for to write for Walk In Our Shoes the people that write for that I I am so overwhelmed by the fact that they do that and the fact that people come up to me and go oh yeah I've read that I know that site I love your site you know and oh oh god really actually you, you know it's there but it's incredibly courageous to do that. And I think it, it's respectful, I think, for anybody. I think who has said to me, oh, I don't know anything about it, or, or they come up with some sort of statistic that's completely wrong or try and fix something, then I just sort of point them to resources and say, well, read this, because actually somebody has sat down in the middle of some bucket load of grief and written something or spoken about something, or stood on a stage and said something that reveals so very, very much that's so incredibly goddamn private about themselves. For you, actually, for your benefit, really, actually, because it's. So I would, I kind of wonder, and again, it might be something that perhaps listeners can tell us about. But I wonder how much of when we do these things, and when we speak out, whether it's cathartic for us. And at what point, if at all, it becomes something that is just for the benefit of other people, which is roughly where I am probably with walking our shoes. And to point actually maybe with this podcast, I mean, at what point are we saying, OK, it's for our community. But actually, if someone out there is listening to this and they've got children and they don't know anyone that's been through this, but there might just be actually there could well be like I think there is people right under their noses. Mm. who have been through this and they just haven't seen the signs you know where do you cross that line are we speaking out for ourselves is it good to do both should you do both what support is there for people who speak out I know that um the 
there are communities out there that provide support for people who speak out but of course we have to look after ourselves in what we do in the way that you know the three of us kind of check in and make sure we're okay because we're speaking out publicly about stuff that actually is incredibly difficult sometimes to talk about you know it's definitely well it's private isn't it you know i said it myself i've got i've moved from a position of feeling incredible shame about my Mm. inability and my inability to have children to speaking out and you're right initially i was like right you know i'm going to don my cape i'm going to do this for other people but actually the more i've been doing it the more i find that there's healing for me in that as well so you know it's something that you move through and i think i wonder michael whether you find as a as a chap that it's a similar thing for you Ricky will say to you she will say that you know i've been grieving for years and it's only now been since I've immersed myself in this community that um, I think I'm grieving. I'm 52. And I, I think the, the, the blog that, that I started to write, and now Vicky Ghost writes, um, <laughs> um, and then, you know, going to Fertility Fest last year, getting immersed into World Childless Week, it it has I guess it's broken down all those brick walls where I kept everything suppressed um, and yeah so now I'm feeling I get very emotional um, and it's a weird feeling for me because as a guy that's always seen as there is something wrong you know you're welling up, you know, you, you, if someone's crying, I mean, well, something's happened. What's happened? What's, what's, what's wrong? And I'm at this phase of my life now where I'm just starting to, to normalise that there's nothing wrong. You're just going through a process. Mm. And Vicky's saying, at last, I can see you grieving because for years I didn't think you cared because I kept it so deep down. I'm going to have to rein it in here. There is nearly an hour more of recording, and I don't think the world's ready for a three-hour podcast. As up next, we have the gracious Jodie Day, author of Living the Life Unexpected and Rocking the Life Unexpected, founder of Gateway Women, and honoured in the BBC's 100 Women of 2013. The Full Stop Podcast has a presence on the trinity of Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you can find all the links at our awesome website designed by Berenice, www.thefullstoppod.com. But now, let's chat with Jodie. You're our first guest, so apologise if we're a bit kind of rusty and not too sure what we're doing, Jodie. Yeah. I'm very honoured to be your first guest. Yes. We wanted to have you here. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was the first guest on um, Michelle Marie McGrath's uh, series, um, Unclassified Women, which you may know. She's, I uh, do. It's, it's a yeah. fantastic podcast. Yeah. I was the first one, and I think I was... Uh, the, I, so I opened series one, and I closed series three. I'm not sure she's going to do another one. So it was, quite, it was, it was quite... An, that was quite an amazing privilege as well. So it, yeah. it's really nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Um, so... Your story, Jodie, where did you very first start to speak about your journey to other people? I started talking to people 
I guess when I really realized that childlessness for me was a permanent condition, that it was not something I was going through on the way to motherhood, um, but that this was actually, you know, my final destination. And I, I was very late coming to that realization. I managed to sort of stay in semi-denial about it, kind of. I mean, I, I got divorced at 38. Uh, I'd had 11 years of unexplained infertility, yet somehow I still thought I was going to meet someone else, do IVF, which I knew absolutely nothing about, apart from the fact that it always worked, um, and, um, and kind of still had time to have a family. And so I was really, really ignorant about everything to do with my fertility. And I'm a smart woman, but I really didn't know anything. And I thought 40 was the age I had to worry about. And I thought, well, if I get to 40 and I haven't managed to conceive, there's always IVF. Um, now, I, didn't, I had two relationships post-divorce. Um, one didn't want to have children. One wasn't right to have children with. Um, and so I never even got to the point of trying IVF. But I was beginning to learn, you know, as I trogged through my early 40s, that uh, it might not be quite such the silver bullet I thought it was going to be. So when my second post-divorce relationship broke up when I was 44 and a half, um, I thought to myself, well, even if I met someone tomorrow, uh, we'd need to know each other for at least a year before we could even consider IVF. I'd be 45 and a half. And even my optimism couldn't quite swing that one. You know, I just thought, it's game over. I'm, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm done. And I didn't know about donor eggs. Um, I couldn't have afforded them. I was single, broke, self-employed, you know, didn't have my own home, no secure income, no secure job, um, as well as being pretty much an emotional basket case by this time anyway. So, you know single motherhood had never been my dream and it wouldn't have been an option for me. So it was like really like, you know, I felt all the shutters come down. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And I, uh, you know, you all know me, you know, I'm quite an open person. So I just started trying to talk about it. You know, I'd been through divorce. Um, my, uh, my ex-husband's, you know, our marriage broke down because of his uh, very severe addiction problems. You know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, been open about a lot of the traumas I'd been through in my life and I'd received a lot of support for them. So I kind of expected to get support for this and I was absolutely stunned by the response. And um, I remember one friend who, seven years younger than me, she was childless, single, she was fearing that, you know, it wasn't going to work out for her. And I remember one day, um, sort of saying to her as I was kind of processing it, you know, I think, I think I'm not going to be having children. I think I'm kind of coming to terms with that. And, and she said, it's not okay for me that, that you're going to be okay with this. And I was like, what do you mean? She says, you can't sort of get through this and be okay with it. I can't cope with that. And I kind of looked at her and I went, you know, my childlessness isn't actually catching, right? <laughs> and it's kind of, it was so it was so extraordinary that the responses or non-responses I would get. And, you know, nobody in my family, in my friends, in my acquaintances, in my colleagues, in wider society at that time, this is kind of a decade ago, 
was childless not by choice. Everyone I knew either had just had children when they wanted to or um, had, uh, had IVF and it had worked. Um, and I knew a couple of people who'd chosen not to have children. But I didn't know anyone else for whom they'd really wanted to and they hadn't been able to. And um, nobody would let me talk about it. So my first experience of trying to talk about childlessness was within my group, you know, uh, within my friends, within my family, within my colleagues. And my experience was that nobody would let me talk about it. They would just, just shut me down with what I late, later came to hear were called bingos. Um, and, you know, just sort of either tell me kind of it's not that bad or get over it or, you know, are you still banging on about that? You know, and I just, so I gave up. I gave up trying to talk to people about it because it was embarrassing. And, and also my internal reality became so painful that it got to a point where I stopped talking about it because it didn't help. And also I was bored of thinking about it and bored of in my own head. So when, you know, I go to the pub with a friend and she'd say, you know, Oh, I've just been talking about myself. I said, that's fine. Please just talk about yourself. I am so bored of the inside of my own head. I'd really rather listen to the inside of yours. Because I felt that my childlessness was an incredibly lonely place. I was, you know, I was in my mid-40s. I was single. I was childless. I was working by myself, for myself. I was living somewhere where I couldn't have a pet. I felt um, I had, because of my grief, although I didn't know it was grief, I pulled away from all my friends who'd become mothers. Because I think whilst I was still in denial that one day I'd be joining them, I could kind of just about had the energy to keep those friendships going. But once I, I knew it was never going to be my reality, I think I started to realize how one-sided quite a lot of them have become, how much effort I was putting in to sort of stay in the gang. And when I stopped making that effort, it was crickets. I, I just they, I just dropped off the planet. I uh, think that's incredibly common, isn't it? Yeah. There's so much of what you have said there mm. that I can absolutely relate to mm. um, both friends, family. It's so relatable. I think I, I see it so often mm. in conversations and people just, I think people can often go into the, the, the groups, the communities that we create mm. on Facebook or in other places where they will almost become internalized. So it becomes a circular kind of conversation where they will say, this has happened to me. And people will obviously say, that's terrible. We, we have you, you're here for us, which mm. is fantastic. But there's a big difference, isn't there? I think between talking in our communities and then reaching out and having the strength Mm. so hard to find to go out and to say to other people this is what's wrong and this is why I'm telling you this but to not then get shut down and to rise over that because I think if you're constantly shut down it does as you say you become a mute you can't say anything anymore mm. it stops and it, that conversation ends it does and it was I have to say it was an intensely lonely period there was a kind of a two-year period I think when I was at the lowest point of my grief and, um, and I kind of felt like a social pariah. It, it, and also, you know, engaging with the world was so difficult because everything was a trigger. 
you know it was i remember the the royal wedding happened not the one that's just happened but the one before and you know everyone it was like a national holiday and everyone was out um you know watching it uh, together in pubs and things with families getting together and i was at home on my own and i just i couldn't i don't know i just felt like every aspect of society was something I was now seeing through a window, but that I wasn't actually a part of it anymore. It was it was in, it was intensely painful, and because I'm I, I'm you know I'm a writer. I've always written, you know, whether it's been journals or whatever. I've always I've always got taken my troubles to the page. I think it was perhaps quite natural for me to. to, to I started a blog. I'd been blogging for a few years at that point. I'm also um, kind of quite nerdy. So I got really into the whole sort of internet and blogs like way before anyone else knew what anyone was doing. I was always like, you know, I was like the first person to have an email address, first person I knew to have a Twitter account. And I'm always like, I'm always like in that, that thing. And so I've been blogging for a while and um, just about personal things. So I'd sort of found my voice as a blogger. And, you know, the, you know, I know the 10 people who used to read my blog uh, said to me, you know, who all knew me, <laughs> used to say after a while, actually, when I read your blog now, it really sounds like you talking. So I think I got to that thing that they call, you know, I had found my voice. So yeah. it sounded like me. So then I, uh, when I, I started blogging for Gateway Women, uh, you know, I started this blog called Gateway Women. I didn't expect very much from it, except maybe someone would read it. And someone would understand what I was talking about. And that very first blog, which was April 2011, um, you know, within a day or so, actually the very next day after it was published, I got my first piece of PR, the day after my first blog. And people from all over the world started commenting, you know, um, like, how do you know the exact words that are in my head? You know, this is exactly how I'm feeling. It, it was extraordinary because I was hearing from strangers what I had given up hoping to hear from people who I knew loved me or I knew cared for me but just didn't understand or couldn't hear what I was saying um, and you know that was that's been an extraordinary ride and so I think first of all for me it was I think I created with Gateway Women I created what I needed. Um, so, you know, I needed to be understood. I needed connection. I needed to meet other women. You know, so I, I kept creating these resources because I was the number one customer and consumer. I, I wanted these things in my life <laughs> yeah. and I needed other women to kind of make it happen. So it was always just, well, wouldn't it be nice if, and you know, and it, it's been extraordinary because, um, I, my background um, before kind of Gateway Women as, um, you know, I was an interior designer. Before that, I was in the fashion business. I, um, I've always been in marketing communications and design. So I've, I come from that, that, that angle. So, and then I was like an early adopter. I was one of the first sort of women in tech. And so then there's all this kind of these, these, this geeky side, this design side, and then, you know, my, my desire to, you know, my desire to help. And, you know, my training as a psychotherapist, which is finally completed. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm so happy for oh, you. Oh, God, eight and a half years, but I am now. I, 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 
qualified integrative psychotherapist. And so all of those things kind of came together in Gateway Women. And because I didn't know I was starting an organization, I was just, I was just starting a blog, I designed everything the way I like things. So what I didn't realize I'd also done with Gateway Women is I created something which looked quite modern, uh, quite relatable. I used my real photograph, my real name. I, I didn't hide behind anything. And I saw right from the beginning, it, it, it sort of stood out quite differently from, from infertility blogs and things like that because it was quite sort of a little bit funky. And women yeah. thought, oh, you know. And then I would, you know, do like an article or, or, or you know, a, a TV show or particularly when, you know, I get photographed or things and people would go, oh, but she doesn't look like childless women are meant to look. You know, so it was really fascinating how just by being me, that in itself was enough to start breaking down the stereotypes of what women and men like us are meant to be like, you know we're meant to be sad, we're meant to be unattractive, we're meant to be in some way deviant and broken and unwanted, you know, kind of damaged goods. And then it's like, oh, but she seems kind of quite normal. I mean, obviously they didn't know me very well. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say that. Really <laughs> you had to wait to meet first. <laughs> you know. I've met you, you're lovely, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> I mean, they do say normal, you know, as a setting on a dishwasher. It's like, you know. Oh, absolutely. It? Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, having spent eight and a half years with other people training to be psychotherapists, you know, I mean, we're a, we're a pretty diverse bunch, I think is probably the politest thing I can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my very first, I think, uncomfortable and also extraordinary experience with speaking out was um, not long after I started the first blog, I was part of a 30-day challenge, which was also helped me to get the blog and get the website up, um, started by John Williams, who did I know, work, yes, I've done that too, yep. So, um, and uh, one of my challenges was to, was to give a public talk. So I, I, I started the blog, built the website, and got my first public talk booked in that 30 days. And I did it, the, the talk was like the next month. I was absolutely terrified because my you know I, I didn't yet know I was grieving you know that I didn't learn that until the second year of my psychotherapy training when I was doing a course on bereavement and then I was like hang on a minute this is all very familiar so I was I was really badly grieving when I gave that talk I was also suffering from I guess a little bit of PTSD um, not for me from fertility treatments but because I was in the final awful fallout stages of um, a relationship with someone with narcissistic personality disorder so I was experiencing uh, narcissistic abuse so a lot of emotional abuse and bullying I'd been with him on off for five years my confidence had been completely destroyed you know because I'd been undermined and confused for five years so I was in a really really low point in my life so to kind of put myself out there and give a talk was just so hard and I I gave that talk and someone there was only about eight people in the audience it was at like at a women's business club a networking thing that no longer exists but one of the women there was a journalist a freelance journalist who uh, writes for the Daily Mail and for other publications and she said you know would it be okay if I did an article about you and I was like yeah and in the end 
uh, it, it came out in the Guardian, not the Daily Mail, and it came out about seven, eight months later. It's the article that I remember you for. It's how I first met you. Yeah. Yeah. And the strap line for it, which was not written, written by me or by the journalist, which is something that people not involved in the industry never know. They think sometimes that we choose those headlines. Um, and it was like, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I'm still a person. And why won't my friends understand that or something like that? And in that article, which looked like it was written by me, but it was sort of ghost written by her, it was an interview. I talked about an experience of being at a, um, a, a gathering of my friends and being the only one there without children. And actually, it was a sort of Easter picnic. And actually, I had been left off the invitation list. I'd been completely forgotten about. But my ex-husband was invited. And my ex-husband realized that I wasn't, hadn't been invited. And so he said, you know, he said, um, you know, is, is it okay if Jodie comes? Because, you know, we're still very good friends. So I'd sort of been forgotten about. And I went to this, this event and um, it was incredibly painful. And there was this moment when my eldest goddaughter came towards me with a baby on her hip because one of my friends had had a, you know, had just had a new baby, even though, you know, quite a late new baby. And just, she had this baby on her hip, but she was walking towards me and she was like, Jodie, I just can't wait till I have my own baby. You know, she was about 17 at the time. And I suddenly had this kind of rabbit in the headlights moment when I just thought, oh my God, this is just going to keep happening. You know, it's just generation after generation. It's just going to keep having babies. And and, and really struggling also with the conversations with my friends because everyone was talking about children. And every time I would try to talk about something else, it would go back to children. And also realizing that I, I represented something very different to them as well because, you know, I was doing my psychotherapy training. I'd done a master's. I'd done all this traveling. I mean, I'd, I'd been up the Amazon, for God's sake, you know. I'd done quite a lot of things in the 20 years that, that my friends had all been having kids. And I, I'd, I hadn't just sat at home. You know, I'd had a life. And I'd had a different life than the one I expected to have and the one I wanted to have, but I'd had a life. And I think to, to some of those women, I think I was quite threatening. You know, I was, you know, I'd started this thing. I might, I'd, I don't know, there was, there was this sense of worlds colliding from both sides. And so I ended up talking to the guys because they actually, I could sustain a conversation there for a little bit longer. I left early. I was meant to be staying. I was meant to be staying overnight. All my friends were camping there. It was like a sort of mini festival of friends. And I just went home. I just couldn't bear it. And so I talked about that in the interview. And I didn't mention any names. I wasn't critical. I wasn't in any way judgmental. It was very much about this was my experience. This was how hard it was to be me. And um, I don't know what I expected. I, I certainly... Um, I certainly didn't expect the response I got either from people I didn't know, like yourself, Bernice. Mm -hmm. You know, I got more than 400 personal emails after that, as well as, you know, loads of comments online. People still read that article. But my, the, the person who had hosted that event was extremely offended by 
um, me writing about it and um, pretty much cut me out of her life. And she was like, you know, the sort of social linchpin of the group because she had the property where everyone would gather. She was like, she's like the queen. Uh, and I was excommunicated. Um, and the person who is the mother of my eldest godchild um, was also uh, a little bit shocked by my honesty, um, but, you know, didn't sort of take it too... I, I apologise for hurting her feelings because I really hadn't anticipated it would, would do so. So I kind of anticipated that it might bring a little bit of empathy for what it's like to be me. Uh, and actually, I got condemnation in my social circle. So that was really the end <laughs> of quite a lot of um, uh, my, my understanding of, of what I could expect. Um, I think it was after that that I, you know, that I withdrew. Um, you know, the period I was talking about where I just kind of withdrew, I think sort of came after that. Um, I was in shock, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's so again it's just so relatable. I think people I know I, I had an experience very similar to that at a wedding that I went to and it was in our local pub the landlord and landlady and I can vividly remember sitting with the women and they'd brought kids with them mm. they were grandmothers and my husband had gone off to talk to the, the this male friends and I I ended up going over and talking to the guys actually ended up getting kind of vaguely sort of molested by somebody and no one really particularly caring about that and all I'd done was just try to get away from the women and I remember just thinking I just don't want to be here mm. anymore and that's one of the very last sort of parties that I've been to and certainly I think with friends and family who don't have that empathy it's like a mm. subconscious thing children always feel like they're a safe subject for most people ordinarily mm. um for us it's different it's not um and it's just historical isn't it everyone talks everyone talks about kids is there anything else you can tell me about yeah. you but I think, for, I think for some of my friends who were uh, kind of consumed by motherhood I, I think that actually was quite difficult for them to I think they were out of practice yes actually yeah. having a sustained conversation about anything else and I think I think me trying to do so was quite difficult and threatening to them. I can see you know? that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the people I know who are parents, it's because they've retained their identity. They have other okay. things. Um, people that I, I work with, um, my really good friend, um, who has just been friends for life, mm. again, has retained her diversity. She has interests. We can talk about other stuff. It just makes such a big difference, but I find that they're very few and far between. All of my all of my friends who are who are mothers, either the the new the, the ones I've made in the last ten years or the ones who've survived, um, have not collapsed their identity into motherhood, which is yeah. you know my term. They would never have put their child's picture as their profile picture on Facebook. They never describe themselves as so and so's mum. That's they they are them and they are mothers. Um, yeah. and so it's, I, I'm, I'm the same, you know, I'm the same with you as on that one. So that was my first experience of kind of really speaking out in public. And although it brought me, it kind of created gateway women in a way, the response to that article was so massive 
that it sort of was the big boost that brought loads of loads of you know women mostly to gateway women although michael there have always been men who have emailed me there are many men who follow the facebook page all of the public areas of gateway women and they do email whenever i'm on the you know on the radio or on anything i always get loads of emails from men and i always try you know thanks to knowing robin hadley and working with him you know at awoc I learned so much. I always kind of drop in something about childless men. Like when I'm on woman's hour or something like that, I always get it in there. And um, because otherwise Robin rings me up and gives me hell. So So, um, He's got a reputation for that. Yeah. And well, he doesn't ring me up, but you know, he kind of, he'll mention it. So he's kind of, he sort of sits with me whenever I do these things. And um, I, I think it brought me lots and lots of great new connections in my life with the childless community, both in the UK and internationally. And I started to connect with other women like me who were writing blogs. Um, You know, that group, which has kind of now become like the global sisterhood. We have a private Facebook group where uh, we, we, we all kind of support, we support each other. You know, the women who are supporting other women support each other. And, you know, gateway women has, has grown from that. So I, I think as I, pro, as I came through my own grief, um, I mean, I've been through my grief now, you know, the worst of it for several years now, which is quite extraordinary. I, I think the experience of the shame of childlessness and the isolation of it, I think when I came out of it, I mean, I do say in my work that grief is an identity transformation. You know, it is a process of identity transformation. What is, not, what is no longer needed for the onward journey is kind of burnt away. And it's an incredibly painful burning away of what's, okay, you don't need that part of you anymore. The person who came out the end of this process, which is the one that you know, is a lot more courageous than the one that went in. You know, I, I will... Although I'm, I'm not that great, believe it or not, sort of standing up for myself in my personal life. Luckily, I don't have to do a lot of that, you know, <laughs> anymore. Um, I've always been someone who stood up for the underdog. I was always the one that, you know, looked out for people at school. And I think there's something there's, that it's just fired me up to, to want to be the voice for those who feel they can't speak yet. And I don't know, when you've been to hell and back, like we've been, you know, the, the grief of childlessness is, is something that nothing could have prepared me for. It has been the most profoundly painful existential dark night of the soul that I did not know if I would survive. I, I really didn't know if I would get through this. You know, there were days, months, when I, you know, I, I wasn't, well, I, I, you know, I don't know, what is suicidal? I mean, I, I really didn't give a shit about my life anymore. And if someone wanted to take it from me, that would have been fine with me. You know, um, yeah. you know not waking up in the morning would have been fine with me. It just felt like a burden, my life. And I really didn't know how I was going to live the rest of it feeling like that. Coming through that, when you disco- and, you, know, dis- and you, you go to hell and then you discover it's also got a basement. It's, um, it changes you. And so now speaking out, I've become like taboo girl. That's my, my superpower. You know, whatever we're not meant to talk about. <laughs> Childlessness, infertility, menopause, aging, death, you know, <laughs> abortion, whatever it is. It's just like, 
Jodie's here, let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) I seem to be absolutely attracted now to, it's like the things that people don't want to talk about, that is what I want Mm. to talk about. Uh, My capacity for trivial conversations, my capacity for social niceties seems to have been burnt away. Although it does make sometimes sort of normal, in in inverted commas, I'm doing air quotes now, sort of normal social interactions. I don't know, I'm having to relearn how to do those because I've got so used to having fascinating and intense conversations with brilliant people who are childless that when I go out with the normals, I'm just thinking, really, is this all you've got? (laughs) Is this what we're going to talk about? (laughs) You know that, actually, I think that is so, so true. God. Yes, it is. It is, isn't it? Because you do. I know when I come back from anything to do with childless, mm-hmm. whether it's Fertility Fest or yeah. at the end of World Childless Week, and you immerse yourself in this, yeah. and you see all these people doing these absolutely incredible, brave and courageous, oh. amazing things. And then I get back on the train and I come home and I think, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, how disappointing life can be. And it's like sometimes perhaps, you know, not that I'd say what I've been through is necessarily worthy of it all the time, but there's an awful lot of times when I think some ways I've become a better person for what I don't have. I'd never be sitting here talking to you three. You wouldn't be sitting here. I would not know you. And that would be a really, really terrible thing. I wouldn't know Michael or Sarah doing a podcast. All the stuff that we all do. And it's incredible. We're an incredibly powerful and talented community. Yes, we are. And I I think the entry level price that I paid to become who I am is completely unacceptable. Mm. However, I really treasure who I am now. And I love the work I do and the privilege of being able to do it and the privilege of being able to speak up for us all. I love having the platform that Gateway Women has created and then finding a way to share that with others to help them, you know, find their voice. You know, I really believe that, you know, that the childless community and Gateway Women, it's a we, not a me, and that we rise together. You know, I, I'm, always, I'm always helping others to, you know, if I can give other new voices a, a leg up in any way, I'm always keen to do so. and it's it's I couldn't have done it without what I've been without what I've been through and it turns out that it uses all of my skills you know it was the I mean before this I had a CV that either looked like I was a you know compulsive liar or I was actually 100 years old because I'd done so many things you know from political lobbying to fashion you know that it's like to technology to this to this and every single thing I use it now in my work. And it's like my entire life, I was actually preparing for this, you know, uh, which is really weird, <laughs> but, you know, and it keeps challenging me. You know, I, I keep having to learn new things. And you said the TED talk, oh my God, that is far and above the most terrifying thing I have ever done. Um, and I think for me, I'm, it turns out that I'm now a confident public speaker. I mean, if you'd said to me 20 years ago, you're going to be a confident public speaker, I would have said, yeah, I'm going to run. And I'm going to run a triathlon. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and, um, and yet it's because 
I feel that the message is more important than me. So when I, when I get up on a stage or when I do my thing, whatever it is, it's like, okay, I'm here to deliver this message to those people who need to hear it. And what would it have been like for me 10 years ago, 15 years ago to have heard this? That's why I'm here. It's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about anything. I'm just, I'm just here to do my job. And so when I got asked to do this TED talk, I've been looking for someone to get, because it's really hard to do a TED talk because you have to be asked by the organizers when they're in process of setting up the event. You know, usually you don't hear about a TED event until particularly TEDx until it's being promoted, by which time they have all their speakers. So it's kind of, and yet it's very hard to kind of get in at the right stage and find out on the grapevine, oh, someone's, oh, someone's organizing one. So it was about my fifth attempt to do one. And then someone approached me and invited me to do it. And I was like, okay, um, didn't expect to be doing it in Hull, but um, TEDx Hull, great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. But what I didn't know about the TED Talk is that it's 18 minutes or they cut the mic. Um, no notes, no auto cue, and you have to learn your lines. So it is not, so it's not um, a live talk in, in a way. And you have to read your talk. Your talk has to be sent to TED, to TED HQ to sort of be approved, to make sure it's within brand guidelines. So, you know, you have to give a script. And the hardest bit for me was learning the script because I'm, I'm a speaker from the heart. I'm not a performer. I'm a terrible actress. The only person I know how to be is me. It's like I'm, with people I'm comfortable with, like with you three, I'm quite, you know, I'm quite lighthearted. I'm quite amusing. I can be quite a mimic. But actually, you, you know, I, and people would say to me when I was younger, oh, you should be an actress. I'm like, no, I'm a terrible actress because I freeze. Because actually there's only one person I'm comfortable being and that's completely me. And, um, and so for me, learning the lines was incredibly hard. Um, I used the Sherlock Holmes method, which is I, I, uh, I built a, 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 like a mind palace in my, in my flat. I have to say my flat was not a palace. And <laughs> <laughs> so I had like, I broke it down into sections and then the section, like this section was pinned on the front door. This section was pinned on the bathroom door. This section was pinned on the fridge door. This pe and, and I, I sort of learned each section. So I, I walked through my, my flat and as I would get to each bit, I'd learn that bit. So in my mind, when I gave the talk, I would, I would walk through the, you know, my, my flat to give this talk, but it was, that's what was most terrifying for me. It wasn't being filmed. It wasn't that it was Ted. It wasn't anything. It was that because it, was dis it disconnected me from the audience. I was, not, I was not doing what I really am most comfortable doing, which is actually just like I'm doing with you now, just speaking, just you know, responding to the moment in an authentic way. And I have to say, if, I would be, if I'm asked, ever asked to do one again, I'm going to tell them I'm going to learn it. But I'm not going to. <laughs> I was going to say, but I'm such a good girl. I did it. I did it properly, yeah. but I won't. <laughs> I'm quite sure people do go off piece with those things, but they. It's so incredibly hard. I know when I've sort of looked at trying to do that, and I just, I, I honestly could not learn anything like that. I wouldn't know where to start. Really, wouldn't know where to start. It's an exceptionally brilliant TED talk. We will put all the links on the the podcast. Um, website and on the social media so that people can go and have a look at if it. anyone's listening i would like to do another one 
And I promise I'll deliver a good talk, even if I don't learn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you'll learn it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. no, what I, what, I really like, what I really like doing is actually planning my talks. Because uh, people often ask me, how do you do it? Plan my talks, have kind of my, uh, my bullet points, mm. learn my bullet points. So I know which, which kind of, which points I want to hit. Mm. So it's almost like I have an architecture. Yeah. And then, yeah. I, free, and then I freestyle. Do you change the narrative or the structure of your talks depending on the audience? Because I've spoken to both our community at the Fertility Fest, but I've also spoken to business groups as well. So there can be a mixture of um, men, women, parents, not parents, um, child-free, childless. It depends whoever rocks up on the day. Do you change how you structure your talk? Absolutely. I've never given the same talk twice, okay. apart from my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the most if you had to give a top tip or a piece of advice mm. for anyone listening to the podcast about speaking out to others what would that be that's a very hard question I've thrown that at you sorry I'd say first of all um whilst you're grieving I'd say don't set yourself up like that you know I'd say that when we're grieving we are so sensitive that's, that speaking out is uh, really hard. The chance of, you know, that not being met is really hard. One of the things I, you know, like the women who do the Reignite Weekend or do my courses, one of the things I say is to practice speaking out. Find your voice in a safe environment. Because one of the things that is, is difficult is there's actually no shared vocabulary in society to talk about our experience. So we often have to educate the listener. So it, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. But if you can kind of have some, you know, good experiences that you've banked of talking about it with other conscious childless people, and I think that's a key word, conscious, because it's not just someone who is childless, because many of us know people who are childless who don't talk about it, don't go there and aren't interested in it. You know, they're kind of, they're, they're a closed shop around the issue. But there are others, which I call conscious childless people, who are actually really engaging and grappling with the issues themselves and the issues in their community and society around this. Those are the ones you want to talk to. So I would say start with a safe group of people where you can get some experience of being heard, find what, shape, you know, shape your own narrative. How do you want to tell your story? What sort of terminology do you want to use to describe your experience get kind of comfortable with it and that that helps them you know in a way you grow your confidence then then you can perhaps start speak you know start speaking to others you will experience a lot of bingos um I, those are in my ted talk but those are you know um you know are you gosh i thought you were over that um you know you would have made such a good mother or father or why didn't you just adopt why don't you just have a baby on your own um you know there's the whole range gosh you, you dodged a bullet um you know kids aren't so wonderful have one of mine there's a list you know and we've all heard variations on that list mm -hmm. yes one of the one of the difficulties whilst we're grieving is that those we experience those as shaming shame actually neurologically shuts down our the part of our brain that allows us to speak it actually shuts down Broca's center, which is the speech center of the brain. We, we completely, we go dumb 
you know, and we get that kind of sinking feeling inside us. We want the ground to open us. You know, this is not a space really for having a conversation. So, but when you're not grieving, what's really interesting is that when I get those back from people now, if I can be asked, you know, and I can't always be asked, it's a teaching moment, but not every moment is a teaching moment. And I'll sort of, if it, if it feels appropriate or, I, you know, I might say to someone, gosh, it's really interesting that, you know, that that's your response. Um, and, you know, I'm really curious about, you know, and I'll, I'll start to try and engage them in a conversation about the bingo. And for example, you know, childless people are selfish or something like that. You know, I go, that's interesting. So you never met a selfish parent. You know, you just apply the slightest bit of logic to these statements and they crumble. Now, if that's someone who is open to having their, their point of view challenged, because actually it's not even their point of view, it's just this received piece of information that they've kind of inherited, that they spout out, and it's not even theirs. So it's, it can, and it can be a really helpful kind of, and I'll say, you know, that, that actually doesn't bother me, but do you know, 10 years ago, if you'd said that to me, I probably would have had to have gone outside and sat in my car and cried. And this is why. And I'm one of, you know, one in four or one in five women because I'm a little bit older than you. So for, me, for, for us born in the early 60s, you know, it was one in five women. Um, is oh, One in four women rather than one in five is, um, is to say, you know, like many other women, you know, I, I don't have children when that, and that wasn't the plan. Um, and... It can be an opportunity to really open someone's mind, to make a friend and to educate it to perhaps hopefully the next time they meet someone who's maybe feeling a lot more vulnerable, they might be a little bit more thoughtful. A lot of people don't realize how, how much they hurt us. And also the difficult thing is, is that we're often not in a position because we're not feeling strong enough to explain why. Absolutely. So, so yeah. nothing, cha nothing changes. Yes. Yeah. You know, they can't read our minds. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, even though I no longer am troubled by my childlessness, I don't actually think about it anymore. It's like, I mean, there was a point seven years ago, it's like, it was like, you know, being an alcoholic. It's like, hello, my name's Jodie and I'm childless. You know, it was the most important thing you needed to know about me. It isn't anymore. It's part of my identity. You know, my grief broke my heart open grew my identity bigger and it's now bigger than me it's bigger than my childlessness my childlessness is a part of me it's a part of the context of my story it's a part of what got me to where i am today it is not the most important thing about me anymore but the reason i stay passionately involved with the childless community is i know that you know you can't fight it's very hard to have a voice whilst you're still grieving and I just want the next generation of childless people, those boys and girls that would have been our children, some of whom who would have ended up childless, not by choice. I just want them to feel more included and more understood than, than, than we've experienced. And, you know, that's, you know, that's what my mother's heart is, wants to do in the world is to make a softer landing for others. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Jodie. Mm -hmm. That is a really, really good place, I think, to end um, our guest slot today. We're so yeah. delighted that you could join us um, on our little fledgling podcast. It's mm. amazing. Thank you so much for your time.
Well, bond voyage, I shall, I shall um, metaphorically crack. Here we are. Here's my bottle of water. I'm not going to throw it over my computer. I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to clink it on the side there to wish you bon voyage, full stop podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jane. Thank you, Joe. Thank, thank, thank you. And that is where we're going to have to leave it for now. We've really enjoyed making this. A special thank you to Jodie Doe. We'll put all her details in the show notes so you can find out about Gateway Women. Please don't forget to follow us on all the major platforms. And if you go to our website, www.thefullstoppod.com, you'll be able to sign up for our newsletter so you'll never miss out on an episode as we have more exciting guests planned for the future. And what would be a tremendous help would be if you could share this podcast and rate us. The more ratings we get, the more people see the podcast. So come on, help us spread the love. And lastly, to our Childless Not By Choice family, it's important for us to let you know you are not alone. I think that's the other thing as well about finding your voice. It's putting the vocabulary around it, isn't it? You know, we talked about mm. it earlier saying jealousy, anger, grief doesn't really seem to do it justice, does it?